0: Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello Firelighters, thank you so much for being here. I know audio is an important part of your life so I just wanted to remind you that my audio course 10 pieces of advice you'd like to have as a child is available on Listenable. You can get a seven-day free trial to listen to my course or the hundreds of other courses available on there. Just go to educationonfire.com forward slash Listenable. Today I'm chatting to Lindsay Lyons. She's an educational justice coach who works with teachers and school leaders to inspire education innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice and build capacity for shared leadership. Lindsay taught in New York City Public Schools, holds a PhD in Leadership and Change, and is the founder of the educational blog and podcast, Time for Teachership. Just before this fantastic conversation with Lindsay, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Um, Nice to speak to a fellow podcaster and someone who's just obviously so passionate about this. So yeah, thanks so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Mark, for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So tell me, I love the title, Time for Teachership. Tell us about that. Where did that come from and then what's involved in it?
1: Yeah, so it's so funny you ask. I think you're the first person who's asked me this. (laughs) And so actually, Time for Teachership came about as me trying to move and transition from a teacher to a coach and creating my own blog, which eventually became a podcast podcast. And thinking about my work, and I was currently, or I was at the time, in a PhD in leadership and change program as I was transitioning out of the classroom. And I was thinking, you know, how do I bring in this idea of leadership and everyone being a leader? I'm really interested in the idea of shared leadership and student leadership And I wanted to bring that into the educational context. And so I thought of this word teachership as a combination of teaching and leadership. And then I actually realized after some Googling that this exists and this is an actual scientific term that academics came up with and is absolutely the intersection of teaching and leadership where leaders are really in the classroom knowing what's going on um, and teachers are kind of uh, taking that leadership role in the school as well. And so I just expand that to include people like caretakers and students as well.
0: And I I love the fact that I know you talk and explain about this idea that, you know, we're all leaders in whichever setting that happens to be. And it's very easy to think, you know, I'm here as a teacher and I'm here as the senior leadership team and I'm here as a principal or, or however it happens to be. But I think once you kind of accept that you have to be a leader to somebody, especially if you're in the education world, because there's someone you're teaching, coaching, being involved in, then it makes perfect sense.
1: Absolutely. And I think about our students as leaders too, in the sense that I learned so much from my students that given their life experiences or, you know, whatever, that they just know so much more than I do about a lot of things. And so I love Michael Fielding from the student voice field talks about radical collegiality and seeing students as your colleagues. And this idea of partnering with students, I just find profound and really influenced my teaching style. And so I love that aspect of it as well.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure we'll go into this a bit later on, but I think, uh, I think that kind of shared learning experience, which has to be more and more and more as, as, as time goes on, you know, with the knowledge base, it's not the same, you know, we can get knowledge from anywhere. It's the learning skills and the styles and all of that. And I think that joint pathway, which I'm sure, like I said, we'll chat to a little bit more um, in in a few minutes. But um, I'm interested just first of all, how did um, this journey of yours go in terms of, you know, studying, then being a teacher, then becoming a coach? Why that transition? and, And how did that journey work for you?
1: Yeah, so I, and it's funny, Since I was a kid, I never actually wanted to be a teacher. Both of my parents were teachers. And whenever anyone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say anything but a teacher. And that was always (laughs) the running joke. And so in undergrad, I actually majored in sociology and gender and women's studies, totally not anything related to teaching. And then about two months before graduation, I was like, all right, I could go to grad school and pay a bunch of money, or I could join an alternative certification program. Um, So in the States, we have Teach for America, New York City Teaching Fellows, and the latter is the one I chose. And so they would pay part of my grad school to get a degree in education to teach. And so I jumped in there. I'd wanted to move to New York City. I thought this was a great opportunity to do the things that had to do with justice that I was studying in undergrad. And so I went into that, um, learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about what it means to advance justice in a system that doesn't really want to advance justice and doesn't want to question things like dress codes and, and all of that. And so I realized I wanted to do more. I wanted to try to work within the system first. And then if not, I wanted to really figure out what it was that enabled some teachers to push successfully against those restrictions And so then realized uh, as I was doing my last three years of teaching, I did a full-time PhD program start to finish while full-time teaching. So that was a lot. And then realized I really need to get into a more uh, traditional leadership role in terms of coaching. And so started working with some different organizations where I would subcontract to them. And I just wanted to get a feel for what's out there. What are the different approaches to coaching? And so once I worked for a few organizations, I realized what I wanted to do, what my niche was. And I really focused on curriculum design and justice through curriculum design, and then also this idea of shared leadership and how do we set up the structures for that, which had been part of my dissertation work. And so then from there, I just tried to grow the business and and really focus on those niche areas.
0: Fantastic. And so a PhD while teaching, there must have been some kind of beach holiday for about six months after that to kind of of come out of That must have been an absolute mind-fuzzling idea.
1: Oh, yeah. So, for I think for two months afterwards, I, I didn't, I barely worked at all. I was transitioning, I was moving to Boston from New York. And I was just like, I can't do very much. I know a lot of people go into the publishing, like, I'm going to publish articles for my dissertation. I was like, I don't want to write anything ever again. And then, of course, I started a blog, with, which is another story.
0: That's a different feel though, when you feel like you've got ownership. But I I always think it's like, well, especially like I said, it's now transitioned to a podcast as well. It's kind of like a conversation. I always feel when it's that personal, and it's got that kind of um, high impact behind you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the podcast is way more fun, a lot less writing.
0: (laughs) So tell us a little bit about what you said in terms of that sort of the justice side of things. And 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 how that works like you say in and out of the uh, of the system because sadly it's probably not the right word but the system isn't changing fast or very much anytime soon except I think from the way that people like yourself are working in a different way to influence it in a positive manner so, so tell us a little bit about how that works practically for you and, and that and how that journey's been
1: Yeah. So I think it started with me trying to figure out how to write my own curriculum. I was handed kind of those curriculum maps that often teachers are handed their first years. And I really wanted to play with that. I wanted to figure out a way to get to teach the standards. But within the four walls of my classroom, as is, you know, the way a lot of teachers work, right? If I can't change the larger system, I'm going to change what I can in my class. Um, I, I started playing with curriculum. And I was really excited to kind of develop something that students got to be agents of change. They got to really take on the role of, of activists, either in their community or or writing letters to the governor, or you know whatever that looked like, um, bringing awareness to various issues. And I think that's where my passion really lies: is is creating and infusing opportunities for students to advance justice um, in the in the world and their lives through curriculum. I've also seen, you know, moments where as I worked for the state of Massachusetts for a while and with turnaround schools, the schools who have been labeled as failing and they need to create those strategic plans to bring them back up. Um, and, and that was really, really influential to me as well, because I saw what the process looked like at that level as well. And it's so stagnant. There's so many things that are built in. For example, one of the things that really irks me <laughs> is when we talk about what the goals are for students. And we say, you know, 80% of students will pass this test, or 80% of students will have mastery over this particular thing, or our suspension rate will go down to 10%. And I'm like, why isn't the suspension goal 0%? Why isn't the achievement goal 100%? Why aren't we aiming for these things when we're setting up this ideal plan we're still not expecting? that students that we can help students get to this place where 100% of them are exactly where they want to be and we want them to be and that was another piece just from a leadership lens of how do we think bigger And also on the path to get there, how do we create these opportunities and these possibilities that are vastly different from what we've had, but they still meet all of the needs of the students, they still hit all the standards, you know, they're still in the best interest of kids. And and one of the ways that I have thought about that is that we involve students in the conversations, in the strategic planning, in the lesson creation, in all the things that we do, and that's going to help us be more equitable.
0: Cool. There's a couple of things there. The first one you, you kind of answered, because I was just thinking about that, was kind of, you know, when you have these failing schools, and in inverted commas, does that give them the freedom to be kind of, right, we're going to literally reach for the stars because... You know, we've got nothing to lose, you know, something has to change and it has to change drastically and it has to change fast. And and you've just told us, no, it, it, you know, yes, there's the option, but even then you've put caps on the limitations and limitations and your kind of preconceived ideas of, of how that is, which I I kind of get, but you kind of wish that wasn't the case. Um yeah. and, and two, how does the how does that student voice really work? Because I think it's brilliant and I and I think it's a really important factor, but I can imagine there are lots of people who take a deep breath and go. Oh, uh, okay. Aren't we in charge, and we're delivering too, rather than vice versa?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the first thing is really the necessity to have that mindset of radical collegiality. So I've I've studied my dissertation was actually in studying what are the mechanisms that underlie successful student voice initiatives. And so these vary from things like, you know, having people on your having students on your strategic planning committee and being on your leadership teams and co-creating curriculum in, in each class. And so the things that I found that underlie a lot of them, one is the mindset. So embracing that idea that you're in this with students and you're partners with them. And if you don't have that, I think the rest of the things, you can put them in place, but they're not really going to be successful. Um, Another one is building representative leadership teams. And so I think the governance structure itself is really powerful. And I've seen a lot of ways people do this. So there's a school that uh, Mark Braceoff writes about that is in Philadelphia. They have an entire organization, an entire Uh, governance structure based on the Constitution. And so I think it's Constitution High is the name of the school, but it's based on the U.S. Constitution. And they have a branch of government, a body of like their Congress, so to speak, that is student based. And then they have these representatives and students can pass bills that turn into policy for schools. Um, There's other people who, you know, students sit on the school board level or they sit on the, you know admin team and they are kind of advisors. Uh, Boston actually has that as well, where they have an advisory committee called BSAC that advises the the Boston school system um, and the board. So thinking about how do we get students in those formal positions of leadership as well is critical. Um, And also that I think this is a key piece of that, that we wanna reduce the ratio of adults to students. So if we have one token student who's sitting on this membership committee (laughs) and it's all adults, they're really just sitting there as a token. They're not actually getting to speak. Probably they're probably feeling nervous about being so underrepresented. Um, and I've seen that happen in schools as well that I've worked at where we invite students in, but it's really performative and it's not, they're not invited to the whole meeting and they have to step out for some pieces and it just feels kind of (laughs) icky. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's another piece, um, And then the the last three, meeting consistently. So when you have those meetings, I've seen so many schools, and the research has demonstrated that many schools, they'll just change last minute the time or the meeting place, and the student can't find the meeting. Or now the meeting's during school, and the student has class, and they have to decide, do I skip history or do I go to this meeting, Um, which is nuts. Clarifying the governance structure is, is another one where just saying if we're a shared leadership school what does that mean? When is it that the principal makes a decision by themselves? Because there are definitely decisions that can be made by the leadership alone. And then when is it, we're actually going to send this back to the families, to the student body, to the teachers, we're going to get feedback on this, and then we're going to make a decision. Because that's a very elaborate system that only certain decisions are going to be, you know, using that policy or, or using that structure. And then the final piece is let stakeholders do research. And so when we ask students to go out and investigate questions around what do students think about this policy, as opposed to asking the one student on the committee. You know, that is really powerful and teaching them the tools of research has been a huge piece of the student voice literature lately that I think is really powerful.
0: I mean, it really makes sense. And and this comes up time and time again. It's about being everything relevant to you as a as a student or as an integral part of any system but certainly within the school system um and it makes sense that that's that that's the case you know like you say if you're if you're i, I love the sort of the, the doing it through the american system idea because one, well, you you learn about the system but also you kind of you really feel like this makes a lot of sense i can see how this works and, and actually i do then have a voice at some point wherever that fits in um but that the, the essence of kind of i can make a difference now And not by shouting and screaming or or not by just demanding something to happen, but I can understand how I fit within a system and I can influence that system in certain ways. And I think that feels brilliant because then it's not a passive I'm going to school to learn. It's kind of I'm influencing my surroundings and my way of learning, which brings all those skills and all that knowledge into this is how i'm going to do it in my home life this is how i'm going to do it in my work life this is how i'm going to study this is how i understand i can influence things i want to be able to change this is how i bring people together this is how i get the research to be able to argue my point and that's a really different way of even thinking about your own learning experience as well as the actual institution you're in as well
1: absolutely and i think it's a win-win because when students are treated as you know, stakeholders as as agents of change and seen in this way as we're going to build up your leadership capacity, they're more motivated to learn whatever it is that you're teaching. And the the teachers are going to have an easier time with things like classroom management or, or different approaches where we might say, oh, we need a stricter hand in, in that class. And really, it's if you invite students in to co-create, if you treat them as, I wouldn't say adults, but, you know, leaders in their own right you know, that the, there's so much potential for reducing all of the behavioral issues or other things that I think are, are solved when we just address it at the design level.
0: And I guess at some point, you have to take that leap of faith. And, and it's either we're going to change the way we work, or, you know, we're going to set up a whole new system or a whole new school in order for that to for that to take place. So in your experience, what's the kind of I guess this probably is hard to answer, but what's the kind of timeline or or the kind of the scale involved of, of, let's say, a school that would be traditionally in terms of this is kind of how things normally work within a teacher would understand to kind of we're going to change it in some way and you've explained really clearly that that change can be different and and multifaceted depending on what you're after but is there kind of a theme that sort of runs through in terms of we're starting from what we kind of know traditionally to changing that whole environment to now there's a much more integral student voice or, or way of working?
1: Yeah, so I actually I have an opinion on that. I think there are a lot of ways that you could do it. So I've seen schools do it over years, over maybe 5 years or something where they're building up layers to this. I've seen pockets of it that pop up quickly but aren't really transformative at the whole school level. My opinion is that it can be done in one semester or at least the foundations can be laid in one semester. And so I actually have a coaching program for this that's a semester long, and so that's where that comes from. But I think the idea there is you think about the governance first. And bring people in, you kind of do a a mix of surveying. And so surveying all the stakeholders, where are your leadership opportunities now? Where do you feel like you have a voice? What are those opportunities? Can you name them? Um, Where is your role in the governance when a policy comes up for debate? Do you have an opportunity to share? Do you have an opportunity to pose a new policy? Um, And so kind of getting everyone's feedback, because as adults, sometimes we think we know what students would say, and then we're very shocked to find out what students actually think. And so that's a key piece. And then building up the systems. And so, you know, how do we get students in a formalized leadership role in the governance structure? How do we make sure they know how to do those feedback loops of you're here as a representative, now go back to your constituents, to your homeroom period or whatever it is collect that information, build up those research skills that you're learning about hopefully in class. So it's, again, like this parallel process of, I think, changing the curriculum, but then also changing um, the governance structure at the same time. And then um, really excitedly kind of buying into this and, and making sure that when we as leaders are sharing this process that we, we believe it ourselves and our language reflects that. Because I think there's a lot of schools who can go through the motions and check the boxes. But if you don't have that passion and that belief beside it, if you don't have students co-authoring the messaging that's going home to families and things, it can, it can be really tokenistic. It can be really performative. and I mean, we don't want that.
0: Yeah. And it's a really interesting dichotomy in terms of I guess it has to come from on high, whether that's a principle, the governing body, whatever it happens to be to really want to implement this. But then, like say, the buy in and and the way the whole system is set up and that devolution of everything is really important. But it still then filters through from the fact that the people on high, I guess, can change that at any given moment. So it's that kind of really interesting kind of of dual personalities going on, um, Yeah, which I find fascinating, actually.
1: Yeah, that's such a good point because I think I think that's the way it's most effective, right? Is when we have the the uh, leaders say, you know what, we're willing to give this a shot. Um, when they don't, I think it is possible, but it takes much longer. And so, an example I'll share is for my curriculum when I was just kind of working within the four walls of my class, I would have students do a like a make a difference project or a change project, or I would vary the name. But basically, um, uh, here's an example. One group of students said, "We really want to change the way that our class programs are done. We don't like the way that we're scheduled into our classes. We don't like that we don't mix with certain students and we we are kind of almost, it wasn't tracking, but we're kind of put into these cohorts that the purpose being they had the same teachers for a couple years in a row. And they're like, we want some different opportunities because we're not getting an opportunity to see these different classes. And so what started as a class project actually turned into the project for it was a proposal to the leadership team where they actually worked out how this could go. And to cut to the end, it didn't work. It didn't change anything, but it did generate a lot of conversation about what the students wanted. And it opened the leadership's eyes, I think, to the possibility of having students co-create what that policy and programming decision looked like, because there's going to be a lot of resistance if they're not involved at all. And so that's kind of a way that it can start in the class and build out.
0: Yeah, I I can really identify with that. I mean, certainly having had conversations with my daughters and also their friend, her friends as well, it's that kind of, they've got lots of opinions on school and teachers (laughs) and and the situation. And I, and I often say, you know, as someone who, you know, who's, runs a podcast who's involved in education it's like but have you ever said anything you know how would you go about making a difference oh no but it just is well it really is it just is until you do something about it but you know her school it's a great school in many many capacities to say they haven't got it isn't necessarily true but they obviously don't see there's the mechanism or the way of actually making that voice heard or actually it would make any difference in the long run and I guess that's the key factor like say whether it works or not in the end feeling like you can at least try or have a mechanism to do it is a good starting point.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So even just like the the in my example, the leadership team being willing to hear them out for an hour. I mean, they listened to an hour long presentation, and that that was at least something that the students were like, "I was heard."
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just tell us a little bit now about what your role is, having then sort of become that coaching and and going into schools. How does it? Does it work school to school? Does it work a, depending on what they're trying to achieve, and 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 what sort of things can you bring to them?
1: Yeah. So historically, I've worked one on one with leaders or or leadership teams. So I'll work with like an AP um, and as prin- assistant principal, principal combo, or something like that, um, and and just try to coach them around what their goals are. And lately, I've I've thought, you know, I really want to niche down. I really want to get this focused. So sometimes I've worked with clients where you know we're in a year or two years of. Uh, coaching, but because it's not super focused, it's kind of all over the place, and you you have the opportunity to almost take on. I don't I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but sometimes as a coach, I feel a little bit like a therapist. So people bring in like <laughs> a lot of different things to the conversation, and so for me, I was like, how do I get super focused? How do I get this so that we have a tangible outcome at the end around this very precise goal? And we don't have all that other stuff coming in. It saves people money. It's more efficient. Um, it does remove that therapist role, but they can get a therapist, right? And so I'm thinking, you know, how do I how do I build a structure like that? And so this summer slash fall, I'm going to be launching my semester-long program. And so that's the one that I've built out around a super hyper-focused program. Um, you know, way of, of coaching. And that's the goal is to bring in three to five leaders from various settings, perhaps from various um, nations or regions that have this shared goal and can bring in the various contexts that they're coming from. And then we do one hour a week for a semester where we go through each of the the pieces of research that i'm bringing to the table the context that they're bringing to the table and then actually end up with a governance structure that is representative inclusive and ultimately advances equity and so that's that piece
0: (laughs) yeah yeah fantastic and 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 that and that makes a lot of sense rather than here i am and here we are this is what we're going to do a b c d e and at the end of it it'll look like this which of course we know doesn't ever work because you're bringing something in which they then have to adopt which they haven't even if you can convince them to buy in it's still not the same because like you say this particular principle is going to be in a different school to the other one and, and all the rest of it and and that you know that's just an even a different way of thinking about education and learning to begin with which is an integral part of i think how the system will change anyway so yeah i love that and it makes makes perfect sense
1: and then the piece too about curriculum. I'm not sure if you were interested in that piece as well, but I have got this program down to about two days that people can create a new unit for curriculum. And so, just yesterday, actually, I was in a workshop about um, anti-racist teaching and how do we how do we teach uh, critical consciousness to to students, and you know, what does this look like? And and someone asked, and someone always asks, you know, how do we do this? How do we talk about things like identity and race and uh, sexual orientation, like all these things that we want to talk about and advance justice for, but we also have to teach the curriculum. And so my response, and it's a very unpopular one, but my response is always, you want to create the curriculum with justice at the center. And so I gave some examples, rethinking schools, math is always the question, right? How do I do that in a math class? And so yeah. rethinking schools has a wonderful blog of uh, curriculum and they they give some examples. Uh, my favorite one is I think uh, maps, math and misrepresentation. And so they talk about about you know, maps and, and misrepresenting uh, statistics and, and in terms of racial justice and national justice, linguistic justice. And so I've created a program that basically is like two days, we sit down with the department and whoever is there gets to produce a full unit centered in justice, project-based learning, graded for mastery, all that stuff in in two full days. And I think that has been really profound for me as a teacher too, to be able to um, have that opportunity to step out of the classroom for two school days, to brainstorm on a curriculum level with the department and, and my peers, and really just devote time to, that's really focused, right? It's just two days to how do I actually do this in practice? What does this look like for my kids? And how do I build in the student voice flexibility to that curriculum, which takes less time to plan, actually, and it advances you know student interest and engagement as well, if there is that flexibility built in.
0: Yeah, and I, I love the two-day thing because I think sometimes you just need the bandwidth to even comprehend it, to open that conversation yeah. and to think, I've got a question, I need to think it through, I need to find the solution, and then you can move on from there. And and it is that kind of ah, right, and here we are, I have that time now, and and therefore I can I can dive into it in with real focus. Absolutely. So let's dive a little bit into into your education past. And I, and I guess, you know, you've already talked about, obviously you went to school, but in terms of your then learning and, and the academics and then and, and being a teacher, but is there a situation and a, an experience or a teacher that has had a real impact? And, and interestingly, I've had both sides of this recently in terms of, yeah, this person was great because of X, but also this person wasn't so great, but it enabled me to learn this. So yeah, give us some examples.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. I remember Miss Barnes, my 10th grade English teacher. She wanted us to do a research project. And I think we got to choose the person we researched. So I was like, OK, cool. I'm, I'm into this. I researched Queen Elizabeth I. I remember I was very excited about it. And I presented this cover page that was, I can't remember what was was even on the cover page, but it was creative. I used Microsoft Word and clip art, you know, (laughs) with very low tech at the time. Um, But I equated Queen Elizabeth to some popular figure, uh, you know, um, a singer or something in terms of her story being kind of from rags to riches and like, who is this like today? And she gave my paper an F despite like a really great research. She was like, oh yeah, the research is great. The writing is great. I just don't like the cover page. And she was so adamant that this one cover page was, was not worthy of, of giving the rest of the paper a grade. Um, so I, I came back and did like a, um, kind of a satirical cover page that was like super boring and, I I included another piece of clip art that was like, Queen Elizabeth, she let people think outside of the box or something like ridiculous. (laughs) And I just remember feeling like, for some reason, I'm really angry about this. I I don't have the language around pedagogy or anything to say why this doesn't feel fair. But I completed the assignment and I'm not getting a grade And I think that was later, I can now look back at that moment. And that was the moment where I was like, things can be better. Like things can actually be better than this. This is not fair. And I don't have the language as to why. If I did, I'd probably have a much more productive conversation with my teacher. Um, But I just remember that moment being like, not only can things be better, but I think I can have a role in things being better for other people. And I just wasn't sure how it fit at that moment in 10th grade. But yeah, that was really a moment that I remember in, in history.
0: Well, I can, yeah, I can, I can really see that. And I think, I think for lots of people listening, and and whether it's a, you know, a pupil or, or a teacher, I think it's usually that feeling and, and I think being able to open up the conversation at that point, even if you're the teacher that disagrees, or, you know, is very fixed on what they're expecting. If you can at least just loosen that so that you can have that conversation because there's something there about the reaction or about the content why it was produced and how it was done that's going to be key and i think you know you're a shining example of the fact that you identify with it at the time let's say whether you've got the language or the understanding but then you know all these years later here you are making change doing it a different way showing people how to do it you know even if it couldn't have been crystal clear at that time I think just someone going yeah there's something here you know remember this feeling remember this this experience because it's gonna sort of give you the breadcrumbs you're probably gonna use to, to get you in the future and I think even just having that is a fantastic starting point so is there a piece of advice that you've been given which has been important to you which you'd like to share or and and is there a piece of advice you give your younger self now looking back? And I do caveat this sometimes that I do realize that advice we get given when we're younger, we don't even necessarily take on board. But I I think it's really interesting to hear it.
1: Yeah, I think for me, so my dad was actually my basketball coach growing up. And he always was saying, you know, we lead by example. And so as, as the coach, but also as the players, as the captains of the team, you know, you lead by example. And that really resonated with me even today when I think about, you know, the the leadership as i'm saying you know being able to to have that radical collegiality and that understanding of partnering with people who are not in those positions of power who may on a hierarchy chart feel lower than us right we, we want to make sure we're leading by example i see that a lot in teachers when we talk about sel or social emotional learning Um, We have teachers who are completely stressed and I've been there, so I'm no judgment at all, but completely stressed out and then being like, we're going to take a moment to breathe (laughs) and we're not doing it ourselves. And so I think there's so much uh, wisdom in that and so much applicability to thinking about justice, to thinking about the self-reflection that is required for us all to be part of a solution that advances justice. Um, And so, yeah, I think I think that is that's one that I. Uh, really resonates today with me
0: yeah I could really see and I, I love the way you did that that like kind of we need to breathe at the moment when you're literally hyperventilating or kind of struggling for breath and I and, uh, just I could just imagine you know hundreds or thousands of people listening who are just thinking oh yeah <laughs> that was me like yesterday or this morning or whatever happened to me <laughs> uh, and I think I, I, I yeah absolutely and is there a resource that you'd like to share, um, which has had a big impact on your life, and and this can be a book, podcast, video, film, song, can be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to have uh, that, but j- just explain a little bit about that.
1: Ooh, this is such a tough question because I feel like, and I've listened to other episodes where people are like, I have several. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out how do I narrow. I think for me, in just in the realm of education and the role of an educator. For me, the last year or so actually has produced two of the most transformative books that I think I have have really influenced my practice and have helped me to coach others successfully. And so that's one um We Want to Do More Than Survive, which is by Dr. Bettina Love. And that I love because it offers a a picture of what better looks like. And so this idea of transforming education, the 10th grade self that I felt like this things could be better, I think it speaks to what that actually looks like. And so it paints the picture of the dream. And then Cultivating Genius by Dr. Goldie Muhammad has really painted a picture for me of the how we get to that dream. And so how do we uh, literally design curriculum grounded in justice. What are the questions we ask ourselves? Why do we do this? Where historically has this worked? Um, in For her, she researched uh, Black literary societies historically in the United States and how they had these four or five pursuits um, that that they focused on and were incredibly successful, despite all of the oppressive systems in, in the United States at the time, um, and still today to an extent. And so I think those two, the what, the what does the dream look like? And the how do we get there have been really powerful for me. And I think they reflect my approach in coaching too. We, we first need the dream, we need to know what you want to do and accomplish, and then we need to know how to get there.
0: I love that. And it's, I mean, that really is, you know, what this podcast is all about. It's been able to share those things. But also, you know, we can talk all day about how wonderful X would be. But what are the people who are doing it what you know what's their environment like how have they gone about it how are they coaching you know what the book that they've written which has enabled to share their their experience with everybody and i think when it becomes tangible like that i think it makes it makes all the difference and it's certainly i mean i I guess i surround myself with people like this because you're you know you're the the sort of person that i'm talking to week in week out but i just hope that there are people who who listen to these conversations and just think that's not exactly where i am at the moment but at least now i know it is possible, you know, even if I can just donate this book that has been shared with me to somebody who I think would really get it and we can have a conversation about it. It's like I say, it can be those small movements, which then enables that, that, like I said, that breadcrumb trail that can then have that whole scale change. And I think I hear it more and more, you know, that kind of, we can do it differently. You know, we can set it up differently and the rest of it takes care of itself. You know, if it's kind of, we need to design a whole new school system based on everything that we think we know already, that's really complicated. When you break it down in the way that we, you've been discussing earlier in the show, you know about, ah, oh, it can look like this, or we can frame it like this, or we can just do this. Then you can kind of like I say, see how those things can make a big difference, which I absolutely love. So Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I love your journey and I certainly love your passion and the way you, you come across with these things and the fact that how actively you're able to, to make these differences. So tell people where they can find out more about you and get in touch.
1: Absolutely. So my website, lindsaybethlions.com, has a bunch of resources. There's a ton of free resources, including some for leaders. So if you're interested in kind of that shared leadership, how do I set it up? There are free resources right on my homepage for you. Um, if you're a teacher who's looking at teaching for justice, there's also um, ideas for curriculum design. I have a cool backwards planning template that's for free on there as well. Um, and then on most uh, platforms, I'm Lions. So Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram.
0: Fantastic. Well, Lindsay, thank you again. And yeah, keep in touch because I'm really, really keen to kind of keep these messages coming and also see these shared journeys, not just within the schools and the things that you're doing, but how your career then influences everyone else as well. So yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. This was so fun.
0: Thank you so much for listening. It's such a pleasure to be able to bring you such wisdom and inspiration. If I could ask you to do one thing, please share this podcast with one other person just so that we can really make the most of our ripple effect of being able to just reach as many people as possible. And that way we can make the biggest difference in the world. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to know more about the community and how to get involved, please go to educationonfire.com forward slash fire